Okay. Hi, everybody. Okay, this is our first time, so uh, we are here yes. on this lovely day. <laughs> uh, my name is Daniela Park, and I'm here with... I'm Julie Kennedy. Hey, guys. And we are starting this new Sober Ratitude podcast, and this is our first edition. So we just want to tell you a little bit about ourselves, and uh, we'll start with Julie. Okay, great. Well, first off, I wanted to thank you, Daniela, for putting this whole thing together. I mean, from from the, the artwork to finding the music, putting all this time into this, I really appreciate it. So I just want to make sure I give a shout out with all that. Um, I'm really excited. So yeah, my name is Julie and uh, my sobriety date is uh, 12-2-09. So I just actually celebrated nine and a half years, which is exciting. <laughs> Yay! I'm telling you, I, I honestly didn't even, I couldn't fathom, let alone nine days. And, you know, all about is the whole one day at a time really, really helps me um, because it allows me to just focus on being mindful in each moment, you know, and the rest follows. And so a little bit about me. Okay. Uh, I grew up in a really small town kind of near you. You're in Malibu, right? So I grew up in Camarillo. Camarillo, California, which is like Southern California, and um, born and raised. I have a great family. My parents are always supportive, and you know they really try to encourage my sister and I. I have a sister who's four years younger than me to join sports, and they helped with our homework. And um, you know, from the very beginning, um, it doesn't. You know, I like to always say that my addiction wasn't from a lack of love. It, I was loved completely and utterly. I just didn't know how to love myself. And, you know, that stems from such an early age, from, from childhood on. And, you know, as early as I can remember, um, in grade school, I had a really hard time focusing and, and grasping information. And I was a little bit behind my peers. Um, you know, so fast forward to about fourth grade was when I was diagnosed with um, ADD, attention deficit mm. disorder. Yeah, so so that was really difficult because I already felt like I was behind and I already felt like I didn't fit in and I was actually kind of forced into taking special reading classes um, to kind of catch up with my peers. And so, of course, kids knew, you know, what classes were the special classes and that didn't help, uh, you know, me feeling the way I felt was, I think, due to a lot of things, but that definitely didn't help. So... I'm outside. Can you hear the plane? <laughs> no. Okay. Should we, should we pause real quick? I don't think we can because okay. I, I can't hear. Okay, good. I'm this so sorry. Kind of all new. <laughs> actually can't stop. We like have to keep going through even if we screw up. So okay, we're going to do it. Uh, awesome. <laughs> we're gonna go organically discussing this right this is what we do that's so, right <laughs> so uh, you know fast forward uh you know I think junior high was when I really started to kind of figure out a little bit more about who I was um I started to kind of gain some more friends along the way I played soccer I, I played basketball and then once high school hit I started to kind of fall into a different crowd right and the crowd was like the skateboarders and the kids that smoked cigarettes, and I still hadn't tried drinking yet. I actually tried smoking a cigarette before I even tried drinking, which is funny. That's like total opposite. 
um, which I didn't like, by the way. And, uh, and I still remember my first drink. I was 16 years old. And um, I remember we, I was in a, a peer group setting, right? And uh, I think my boyfriend at the time had stolen a bottle from like CVS down the street. And we proceeded to drink this like nasty, I don't even know what kind of vodka it was, but it was definitely not <laughs> the tice that goes down smoothly. And, um, and we were all taking shots and, and one of the guys there had dared me to drink an entire glass full of just straight vodka. And of course, me trying to be the life of the party, trying to fit in. I drank the whole thing and I completely blacked out. Um, I came to, I actually had missed the toilet and had thrown up all over the floor. And I remember walking downstairs and all my friends were throwing up in bowls and crying and saying they were never going to drink again. And I remember thinking, like, that was fun. Like, I blacked out and that didn't even scare me. It was like the escape that I had been looking for my whole life. Something Mm. to just escape, just numb the reality of just me being who I was. And, uh, and I proceeded to drink more, which is just the insanity, right? I mean, to, to, to other people, it doesn't make sense why someone would continue to drink. And for me, it was like the medicine, the cure to like escaping what reality was. And, uh, you know, my drinking didn't really progress. Um, I actually, it was actually kind of prolonged because um, I had mononucleosis when I turned 16, a little into 16. And uh, I was bedridden once um, because of it. Yeah, it was just the it spiraled my depression. I was already predisposed to depression. Um, It runs in my family. And uh, of course, that just hit so hard for me. And I spiraled and my friends stopped coming around because all I would do is sleep, obviously. And um, I was actually homeschooled for a year and a half of high school. So I did feel like the, I had the poor me. I'm the victim. I missed out on all these things I'm supposed to be doing in high school. And of course, uh, of course yeah, right. So that like just mm-hmm. everything for me. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. So that's kind of where it started. And obviously, you know, I, I kind of want to get to know you a little bit, too. So I kind of want to, you know, maybe jump over to you and kind of hear a little bit about your your starting drinking career I guess you could say <laughs> well, you know it's like poor us we're these yeah. girls we have all the love in the world from our parents and all we want to do is drown our feelings it's like mm-hmm. why you know um, we have such great lives but you know we're hindered by this uh, alcoholism mm-hmm. you know that they call it, which I truly believe is a disease. And my alcoholism was, I believe I was born with it. Mm -hmm. And uh, it it definitely, my behavior has been messed up since I was, you know, little girl. I I had, uh, I was an only child from two great parents that gave me the world that were always trying to uh, figure out what was wrong with me. And I was a very angry, um, it just was never enough for me. I mean, I was over the top. Mm-hmm. My life was limousines and this and that, and nothing could, you know, cheer me up. My mother loved me unconditionally. She would, you know, practically dress me and do my hair every day of the week for until I was in like fifth grade. I mean, she was incredible. Wow. Loving, <laughs> despite all the things that I would 
call her and do to her. Um, and, you know, I was just not happy. Are you there? Shoot. Whoops. Are you there? Oh, what yeah, happened? I'm here. I don't know. It totally cut out. Well, this is our first one, so we're allowed to have that. <laughs> okay, so so my um, my drinking actually started uh, in high school. I was the goody. I was kind of a goody good. I never ditched school. Um, I was definitely a chameleon. I like to hang out with every. You know, I love to hang out with everybody and make sure that I fit in to everybody's little box because I wanted to be liked. That was my oh, problem. Yeah. yeah. And, oh, yeah. That's, that's a huge one. relatable. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was the gangster. I was the wannabe cheerleader because I never did make it, nor did I want to. And then I got really just so sick of high school that I actually left high school on my own uh, to go to a continuation school to get out. So I was, I was already like done with high school in my mind and I wanted to go into adulthood and college or whatever, you know, I wanted to do with my life. Um, I drank, (laughs) that's right. I wanted to be an adult. I was ready. And I, uh, when I would drink, I would drink and just from the first time I drank, I would just get loaded and blacked out and just messed up every time I would drink. I would not yeah. remember a thing. Yeah. And if you're listening and um, you've ever had outrageous behavior when you're drinking or you can't control your drinking, you might be an alcoholic. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Top of the list. <laughs> self-diagnose ourselves as alcoholics, you know, um, what are some of the outrageous things you've done, Julie, that you knew? <laughs> First of all, let me just get this straight. I knew alcoholic mm. until I was 32 years old. Wow. I never knew. It took you that I never long. knew I had a problem. <laughs> well, I just didn't. Yeah. I just thought it was a loser. Like, I didn't think I had, I, I had something that was like a disease that I could, like, do something about. I just thought I was a drug addict loser. Mm. I mean, it's that's that's just what I thought. I mean, let me ask you, when you figured out, when you came to that conclusion that you were indeed an alcoholic, did that kind of help lift some of that shame that we carry? You know, there was, I'm not one of those that, that carries shame. That's good. I, I, it's just not really something I ever think about. I never was shameful to be an alcoholic. I was grateful to be, you know, to be an alcoholic because I found out that it wasn't my fault that I was just a sick, sick human being that has a mental twisted mind that cannot stop drinking. Once the alcohol gets in my body, my body doesn't metabolize it properly. Mm -hmm. And then I get really super drunk and I make dumb decisions like getting in a car or sleeping with, Mm -hmm. you know, some guy I've just met and, and these crazy things happen, you know, they happen. And, uh, it's just, 
you know, some of the, the circumstances. I mean, how, when did you know you were an alcoholic? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you definitely described some of that outrageous behavior, right? Getting in the car, sleeping with random people. I feel like I can relate uh, on a, so many levels with that, um, which I think, obviously, you know, when I, when I really figured this out, I mean, I, I drank with people that drank like me. Therefore, it was easy to be in denial. It was easy to justify how much I drank because I tried drinking with people that drank normal, I guess you could say. And, uh, and they would criticize the way I drank or they would be concerned that I was drinking too much. And so what would I do? I ditch those people and I go to other people that drank like me because I didn't want to hear it. Exactly. Um, <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, keep that denial strong there. And I think that's definitely a big part of what kept me sick um, for as long as it did, because it was easy to justify and it was easy to stay in denial. Um, I do remember when I came home drunk, I was still I think I was about 18 or 19. Um, and I was really loud, of course, like we're so obnoxious when we drink. <laughs> well, I was I was at least. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and I was on the phone talking to some guy and my mom comes in the room and, and she asks me point blank, you know, are you are you drunk? And of course, what did I say? No. And, uh, and then she proceeded to tell me, you know, how alcoholism runs in the family. And of course, I had no idea what that meant. I didn't know what be- being predisposed really meant. Um, and I just kind of shunned it off. And I told her, I said, you know, I only drink on the weekends. I mean, forget the fact that I wasn't even of age to drink. You know, right. forget that. I mean, right there goes to show, you know, you're already drinking so excessively before you're even legally able to. Um, but for me, the first time I really started to say it out loud, you know, I didn't say I was an alcoholic. I just had said that, you know, um, I think it's becoming a problem, you know, and I would say this to people when I was drinking, but when I was sober, they'd ask me about it and I'd deny it. And so it was like part of that pattern of surrender for me where like slowly, but surely I would start to admit it to other people like when I was under the influence and then when I'd be sober I would just kind of brush it off you know I would just say no 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 that was just me being a little emotional drunk self you know don't pay any mind to that you know and uh and the moment that I really actually said it out loud it to my parents was um I was 20 22 years old and at that point since I was about 20 I started drinking um daily I started drinking in the morning and obviously in the morning throughout the day and I'd pass out and I'd come to and I'd keep drinking I was definitely not a functional drinker I'd lose jobs and things like that um but you were you were you're a real (laughs) like like, totally did you um did you do drugs as well was that part of uh your story I definitely um, I I think a lot of us are co-occurring and I think a lot of us um, don't just do one thing and that's just my personal you know from what I've come to learn um, is I started taking Adderall when I was 18 um, for my ADD Mm -hmm. and uh, and of course what did I do I would take more because I love the effects and uh, and I started snorting it and I started selling it to buy my alcohol um, and I would, I would do cocaine once in a while. Um, thank God I never really got into opiates cause I had some boyfriends that, that got into it. And one of them actually passed away from opiates, uh, when we were 21. 
And, uh, and I remember we had broken up just months before that and we had a really toxic relationship. And I remember hearing that he had passed and, and it was just, it felt so surreal. It felt like I, I just couldn't fathom, you know, how he could die at 21. And that's what scared me is realizing that, you know, this thing is serious. And so, you know, for me, it justified the fact that I didn't do opiates, therefore I couldn't overdose type of thing, you know? And uh, in the moment that I actually said it out loud, I was, I was 23. Um, my sister comes home, she was hanging out with her friends and I didn't have money for cigarettes. And of course I love to smoke cigarettes when I drank. It was like, they went hand in hand for me mm. and uh, I was short on buying cigarettes. And so I asked her for a couple of quarters and she, you know, totally dismissed me. And, you know, it was embarrassing, you know, that she dismissed me in front of her friends. Um, so I proceeded to go inside. She had locked her door. I kicked down her door and I had been like scrummaging through her room just for a couple of quarters, you know. Oh, goodness. And, and yeah. And uh, so she comes to me and she starts screaming and saying, you know, what the F, you know, you're such an alcoholic. And I just lost it. And I had never laid a hand on her ever. She's four years younger than me. And, uh, and I just started kicking her and pushing her to the ground and just wailing on her. And like, you know, my dog was barking and my parents oh, you know, my peeled her off, peeled me off of her. And I just started bawling. I was just crying and I, just, I, I get choked up when I talk about it. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. I'm sure it was a heartbreaking moment for your family. Yeah. <clears throat> it, yeah. I mean, because I would, um. Up until that moment, I kind of hid it in a sense where I wouldn't blatantly drink in front of them. Um, and and they would ask me, you know, and I would lie and I would tell them I wasn't drinking as much as I was. And when that happened, there was no denying it. There was no going back to this hiding the alcohol at this point. It had it all right. come out to the surface. And right. I uh, cried and I told my dad, I said, I can't believe I just. I just did that. I can't believe it. And uh, I was like, I need to get help. And that was the first time I actually attended my, my AA meeting. So that was my moment of like, really? I hadn't, yeah, I hadn't quite surrendered completely, but that's when I think the part of that surrender, that process really started for me was when I actually said it out loud and tried to get help for the first time at 23. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lucky you. Okay. Cause I've been sober now almost 13 years. My, uh, what is your sober date? Uh, nine 11 Oh six. Oh, wow. <laughs> I went till I was 32. So mm -hmm. I mean, my, I'm lucky. Like most people don't make it that long mm -hmm. with what I was doing. And that's the, that's the thing. That's why so many people are dying because they don't think it's going to happen to them. There are exactly. so many people dying and it doesn't take much. And it, and the fentanyl and everybody knows, um, you know, about what's in heroin these days. I was yeah. never, never a pill person and I was never an opiate person. I was yeah. um, alcohol, cocaine and methamphetamines. And I was one of those girls that said, I will never put my <laughs> lips to a pipe in this yeah. lifetime. That is low and that is scum <laughs> of the earth. And after some time, it wasn't classy anymore. It was my lips on a meth pipe and it was an eight year habit. And that's wow. what, that's what took me down. I mean, I, I, 
I'm an always going to be an alcoholic. Whenever I drink, I turn, you know, crazy. I, I'm a lot of fun. I was never a depressed drinker. I spent most of, uh, from 18 until about 25 having, you know, the best life, just frequenting clubs every night, having fun, hanging out with celebrities every night, dating celebrities, you know, just doing the, the fun thing that you want to do at that age, but two extremities. I mean, I would do the coke all night long and feel like shit and go to work hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. And then eventually I would get a good. Uh Oh, it happened again. Yeah, it did. It cut out for a minute. I don't know. I think when my screen goes off, then that turns off. So I'll be mindful of that. But um it was glamorous you were were functioning you were totally functioning oh god yes (laughs) wow i I am a warrior when it comes to functioning i mean i was a functioning meth addict i mean there's a lot that's a long time yeah it is a long time and i'm so grateful to be alive right now i mean i was Mm -hmm. the, the um the drug addict that um I was never the social drug addict. It was, it was always for drugs, drinking. I never was the type of person who would get bottles and bring them home and drink alone. Never. But okay. I am an alcoholic to the core. When it came to drugs, it did not matter. I could be in my room by myself for three days and I would be fine. Using the drugs, I, you mean? I love drugs. It just, yeah. I just do, you know, and, and I'm, I'm grateful to be alive because I should have been in a plastic room. I was standing on top of a, um, you know, a building ready to jump because they, there was a movie being filmed. This is in my mind <laughs> of me as a meth addict. And I was going to help other meth addicts not make the same mistakes and just Pure craziness, you know, wow. just pure craziness. You were yeah. like the prodigy of what not to be. Is that what were your, was that what your mind was thinking? And it was like all these great things were happening. I was, be, I was, you know, working in movies and I was getting roles and it's just everything went away and it just, I didn't care. I did not give a shit. I loved the streets. I loved the people at the clubs. I mean, I was just... That was fun for me, you know? Yeah. No, I can relate. (laughs) I mean, I went to college on and off and stuff, but it's just when drugs got a hold of me, it was just, it it was just on and that was it. Yeah. It kind of took it to another level. It sounds like. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And you identify as, as an alcoholic because that's usually when it would start for you or because I cannot drink. I am a complete slop. I mean, I am a sloppy drunk. When I drink, it is never, I've tried to control it. I can go, okay. I remember those times I wasn't trying to control it, but I, where I was like, okay, I have to get up early the next day. I'll just go out. I'll be back early. Never. I would be out all night every time. No matter what, I am not going to be on time. I will be drunk and high. And if I go to what I need to go to, I will be high and I will be drunk still. It just Mm. always, you know. 
it so, always yeah came that's back. the insanity right the insanity and the fact that you were able to like function in a sense I'm sure made it a lot harder to to get clean you know and that's what I hear from a lot of people is that you know they're high functioning in a sense where you know they have the job they have the family or career and you know even though they're miserable inside and drinking all day every day or maybe just at night they're trying to control it and uh and it takes a little bit longer I feel personally for for the functioning ones you know yeah yeah and my parents were at the point where I was I was old enough and they were just done they they, there was nothing more they could do. They, they would take me in. Um, I had a big hole in my chin that I had carved and carved and carved for two years. I would walk around with a needle in my hand. And I don't know whether it felt good to harm myself or whether I truly thought there was something in there. But I would go home. My parents would help me heal. They would pay my car payment. And, and then I would leave again once I felt better. And I'd be gone on another run. And it would just, um, you know, I had a car, I had anything I needed just to be able to get back to the valley and go hang out with the people that had the dope and just do my thing for another whatever days. And by then I could only get restaurant jobs because, you know, I could never do a full-time job. It just wouldn't happen. And <laughs> yeah, And it just became my life. And I never even... I swear to God, I never even thought that I had a problem. It, I don't know why. It never even came to my head. I just thought, wow, you're a loser. Mm. Now, instead of understanding that you had disease, you thought you were just a loser? That, that you, Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Can I ask you, you said your parents kind of enabled you for quite a while, right? They would clean you up and then pay your bills and everything. So in a sense, they were obviously, you know, enabling you. At what point did they decide that they weren't going to enable you anymore? Uh, I, well, basically, I lived on my own. I had an apartment, uh, which is a whole other story with, uh, with a, a gentleman that I was living with for five years, um, just scrounging by. And uh, they just they didn't talk to me. They had no, no reason to talk to me. I wasn't able to even yeah. be part of their lives. My parents never had anything in the house. They do not drink. Yeah. They don't like the taste. They don't. And it was just never part of our lives. I mean, they never, like, I could never drink at home. It'd be totally weird to have alcohol in <laughs> front of them. Yeah, they just they don't yeah. they don't drink. It's just it's not something. And then I had gotten a DUI when I was eighteen, and then I got a second one, and I was in jail for that one. That sucked. Yeah, and yeah, and um, you know, they sent me to AA, and I learned right away I could sign my documents myself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> isn't that great? I <laughs> I hear that mm. too. People say, you know, they go to the meetings and then they kind of like catch on to the fact that they can just sign it off themselves or have someone sign it off. So it's all different initials and whatnot. Yeah. The lengths that we go, you know, and, and, you know, I love, so, you know, we talk about nature versus nurture and same with me, you know, like I said, it wasn't from a lack of love. It wasn't from a lack of support. Um, you know, my, my mom doesn't drink to this day. It's been, I don't even know, maybe 30 plus years since she's had, since she's had anything to drink. And, um, you know, the reason why is because she had told me that she didn't like the way it made her feel. She didn't like that. She felt she didn't have control. 
you know, and that's a whole other aspect, you know, that's why she ended up joining Al-Anon, right? Because she once had control of certain aspects of her life, which she didn't have control of. And, uh, and from then on, she didn't drink, you know, and my dad, totally normal drinker. He drinks maybe a couple glasses of wine a night. I've seen him drunk twice and he's been the happy drunk, you know, and that's it. You know, so my environment was also very healthy. I never experienced any kind of trauma when it comes to, you know, the household environment. So yeah, my mom ended up joining Ellen. I'm like, so, and that was basically when they put up boundaries with me, same thing, exactly same thing, except I was actually living here. Um, so they saw the progression. They saw me drinking daily and basically just sleeping it off. And, uh, and then my mom ended up joining Al-Anon a couple years before I got sober and started putting up the boundaries with me. You know, she'd say things like, I, I need a detach with love, <laughs> which I hated. I hated that. <laughs> Her. lots of resentment there with Al-Anon you know and um you know she started she bought a breathalyzer and they would breathalyze me and uh they wouldn't let me come home if I had blown any numbers so they would drop me up on the other side of town hoping that I'd walk it off type of thing but what did I end up doing I went and bought another bottle and walked home and oh the whole gosh. thing happened again I'd hide bottles in the bushes I'd hide them across the street in the bush so then they wouldn't know where to look and in my room, I started uh, pouring them in different water bottles. And so I'd leave the water bottles all around. That way I always had one hidden somewhere. And, you know, talk wow. about the insanity of it controlling your life, you know. And that's exactly where it, had, where it had taken me. So do you feel that you had a, like, a, a craving for the alcohol? Or did you feel like why why were you drinking why do you think that you were drinking so much because I didn't drink like that yeah yeah even Um, though I am yeah you know and I think that's why and I love that you point that out because I think uh, so many of us identify you know different areas of our life and I think so many of us think that if we don't drink every day then we can't be an alcoholic and, um, and I've seen it time and time again, where people, once again, maybe they have binge episodes where they can drink for a couple of days, and then they can be sober for months. And that was their justification of there's no way I could be an alcoholic, you know, and actually, it's what happens when you drink, it's not even how much you drink, it's what happens. And, um, you know, for me, it was, it was craving, obviously, the obsession of the, uh, of the mind and body. And uh, it got to a point, you know, like I said, I started going to meetings at 23 and went to my first rehab at 23. And I did a really good job identifying what the difference is and not the similarities. You know, I hadn't been to jail. I hadn't, you know, had a DUI. I hadn't had kids that were taken away. I was too young to be an alcoholic. All these things that we talk about with the yets, you know. And, mm-hmm. um, and so it, it, it definitely kept me sick for quite a while. And I would leave a rehab because... You know, I didn't like the way that this person said this or did this and uh, I would go drink more. And, you know, my my rock bottom was not jails, institution or death. Thank God. Um, But it had gotten to the point for me where I was physically dependent on on alcohol. And that scared me um, enough because at that point, like I couldn't even go an hour without going through withdrawals. And um my mom tried tried to help me wean me off because at this point I had decided once again, I wanted to go to rehab 
And so she bought a bottle on the way home from us viewing the rehab. And uh, she tried to like wean me off a shot each hour type of thing. And then uh, she hit she hit the bottle and I ended up finding the bottle. And of course, what did I do? I kept drinking. And, you know, it got to that point where I was like jaundice. I was bloated and um, I was it felt like I had the flu every day if I didn't drink. And that was miserable. That is awful. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Whenever I have whenever I feel really sick or I have the flu or I'm throwing up, I like it's like instantly flashes back to how it was when I was drinking. And like it's, it's I, and I'm grateful. I'm like, OK, yeah, I'm sick. I have the flu, whatever. This sucks. But then it kind of brings me back to gratitude again because I'm like, I could be doing this every day of my life. And I don't think I would be alive if I had. You would. Yeah, I, just, I definitely <laughs> don't think I would have. I mean, for me, I went the extra 10 years and don't get me wrong. When I would drink, it would be an all night thing every time. And, you know, up until the next day and sometimes for a few days, but, um, you know, when I got sober, I, I just lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. I was it's looking okay. at my dog. <laughs> oh, I'm looking at my dog too. <laughs> I, love you. I love your puppy. <laughs> like, for me, when I got sober, it was totally by fault. Mm-hmm. I had already been 10 years prior. When I was 21, I had a really bad night. And I drank and did coke all night long after a Hollywood club. And I was feeling like absolute shit. Mm-hmm. And I had to go to work and some crazy stuff happened. I mean, I was working for a health magazine and I went in there with the alcohol, like a psycho. And um, I had no idea what was going on. I usually was able to like drive and to like function at work without people. I don't know how they probably all knew, but I thought, I was getting one over. Yeah, sure. We all did that, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, I am a great manipulator, I will tell you. Oh, yes. I went to Kaiser Hospital that morning, and I I said, I need help. And I don't know how it happened. I was just so freaking miserable at that time, physically. And I was just like, I can't, I can't deal with this coming down thing today. Like I, there was nothing worse than coming off of Coke and alcohol. It was like the worst thing in the world. And I never was a person. I I didn't even think or know about those things. I don't know why, you know, that wasn't part of my, you know, you you take people would take pills to calm them down or whatever. Like that never did, you know, happen for me. So Mm. here I am. And I just went there and they detoxed me in Tarzana treatment center and then they threw me in cry help for a month. Um, I'm sorry, a week. Mm. And they took me to AA meetings. Again, this was like my second time into an AA meeting, um, like downtown LA. This is when they used to smoke in the meetings. Oh, it's wow. like, yeah, this is over 20 years ago. Um, <laughs> and, um, they took, they take you to downtown LA and they take you to like local meetings in the Valley. And Uh-oh. are you there? <laughs> oh no. Jesus. <laughs> oh, we got it. We're good. I, okay. Okay. I, I was completely oblivious 
like I said earlier, about the fact that I was an alcoholic. And Mm -hmm. when I stayed sober for 90 days, I didn't have a sponsor. I still didn't know about the alcoholism. And I thought I could hang out with the same people, which at the time, the night I went out, it was Halloween. And I went out in a limousine with a guy that owned the limousine that owned a tequila company. And we used to all party in the limousine and go out everywhere in Hollywood and drink his tequila to all hours of the night in his Sunset Plaza home. And I thought I was going to make it and I didn't make it, you know, by four in the morning, I took a shot and that was it. And there, there I was on another 12 year run. And that's how things got really bad with uh, the methamphetamines. And even when I tried to get off of methamphetamines um, a year prior to getting sober, everywhere I went, they were there. And it was just, it was just so hard for me. I I really, um, I didn't have any reason to get off of them. There wasn't any, um, anything in my brain telling me I had to, you know, had to get off of them. I was functioning always. I had a, you know, nice car, always had a job. I mean, I always looked good, you know, Mm -hmm. nothing was, except a few times, you know, when I had holes in my chin or whatever. Um, You talk about the image. Yeah. How everything looked good on the outside, you know, but internally it was a struggle. It sounds like. Yeah. Absolutely. And when I got sober, I, it was two days prior to that. I had, this is when I actually drank alone, which was not often at all. I got drunk in the morning And then uh, I drank all that day and I texted somebody, um, please help. And that was the first time that I ever asked for help. I totally asked the wrong person for help. (laughs) That's a a whole other story. Um, You'll hear about after my book comes out next year. And so I asked um, for help and that was a huge deal, of course. And then the next day I did this one last thing and I was in the shower and I was feeling okay. There was nobody in my life and I was spiritually like gone. Yeah. I never went to it. I never, I'm not talking about God. I'm just talking about empty. Like if you looked into my eyes, there was nothing there. I was completely without any friends. I have, I had nothing at this point. Um, yeah. Nothing of- spiritual bankruptcy, you know? Exactly. And that's the day I fell in the bathtub. I had so much like pain in my stomach. It felt like somebody was stabbing me or I had been shot or, you know, something. And I fell and I couldn't move. Wow. I called 911. They came and I just freaked out and told them to leave. I called my mother and next thing you know, I'm in emergency surgery. And here we go. And I'm like, almost dying because my whole body is being burned by, uh, you know, my stomach lining had erupted. Wow. The bacteria is floating inside of me, burning my insides. And then nobody comes to visit me for a week except my parents. And I get out and I ask the pharmacist, hey, what can you do to make me feel good? (laughs) Makes sense. Logical question. Yeah. It's it. That's the insanity. What did the pharmacist and, say? Did he give you anything? No, he said, um, 
go to the AA meeting oh. next door. <laughs> <laughs> he knew. <laughs> yep. Did you go to the meeting? I actually did. I went in. Wow. Uh, the lady was... Um, upset and uh, she was crying and I'm just like oh my god I hate this I don't want to be here I jumped in the car and I called a girlfriend of mine that I saw was sober on MySpace MySpace days that's awesome yeah yeah and she just said hey Danny meet me at a meeting and um, I'm one of the 12-step girls you know I I've gotten sober through AA and by a miracle chance that day I picked up the phone and called somebody and there were people there for me and well yeah you know how when you were in the hospital no one came to visit you but your parents and you know like I hear such a spiritual experience when you talked about how you went to the pharmacist and you said give me something I just don't want to feel the way I feel and it could have gone one way or another and, and he said, go to an AA meeting. And that was like the turning point, I feel like, in your life. Mm-hmm. You could go one way or the other. And you went the way that you knew to go. And we have to be ready. And it, to me, it sounds like you were totally ready at that point. I don't know. It was an absolute miracle. It really was. Um, I, I would have I died. I would have taken it because I was still willing to go further. Like I just, I didn't even think my stomach had erupted because of my behavior. Mm. It's still something that I thought about. I mean, I just always thought I was invincible. You know, that was my problem. Oh, I think a lot of us definitely feel that way. And that's part of the denial once again, you know, that keeps us pretty sick. And, uh, and that's scary. I can't imagine what that must have felt like. Um, you know, definitely being on the brink of death and then, and then coming out of the hospital and, you know, the insanity, right. Just because we're not using, it doesn't mean our mind isn't well, you know, and you were thinking, I want to escape what this reality is like we all do. And, you know, you Mm -hmm. went in the direction of a meeting and that's where you found people that really genuinely care. And that's, what's great about AA is I'm a, I also got sober through AA and, Um, you know, when I went to treatment for the last time, so I went to treatment five different times and, and each time, um, I learned a little bit more each time I was a little bit more open-minded. Um, and I think that was kind of part of my slow surrender is like, I didn't completely surrender, but I had parts of me that wanted to surrender. Um, but then again, I'd run on self-will, you know, and, and they talk about self-will run, right. It's like, okay, I'll, I'll admit this but I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do the work over here. I'll admit it, but I'm really not going to do the work, you know? And so it, it, it made my drinking even more miserable because I knew at this point that I was an alcoholic. There was no doubt. And, and I was still drinking and I knew that I was an alcoholic and, and it, that's just made my, my drinking even more miserable um, for me. Yeah. And so when I went to rehab for the last time, I actually went to Orange County and uh, to this day, it's still open, Cornerstone. They've been open for like 30 years now. And I went to visit when I took my nine-year uh, cake last year. And there was so many young people there, which was so inspiring to me. Because for me, I felt like I lived in a small community and there wasn't a lot of young people. Like I didn't ever meet anybody young. And therefore, I couldn't be an alcoholic because I there wasn't other people that were my age. And uh, right. And so when I came home, um, I was told, obviously, you know, the, the, 
the treatment plan, they told me when you go home, get, get involved in meetings, get a sponsor. And that was my turning point because I was sober. Yeah. I mean, I knew I was sober, but I had a lot of that same behavior as an alcoholic. Um, so when I was in rehab, I was hooking up with different guys in rehab. Um, I stole my parents' credit card and I was charging it at Target because I felt I was entitled to do all these things. And so mm. my behavior was definitely still sick, even though I was sober for three months. Um, wow. And so when I came back home, um, my dad obviously was done at this point because they had found the bill for Target and they had seen that I'd racked up $1,000. And oh. uh, <laughs> he was done. <laughs> he was just done. And of course, he didn't want to even believe that I was sober because I had said many other times that I was. And so it took some time for him to come around, which I would call my sponsor almost daily. And I would just I would just complain and tell her my dad still doesn't trust me. I've been sober for X amount of time. And why doesn't he trust me? Isn't it obvious that I'm sober? And, you know, and God bless her. She was so patient with me. You know, she would just say, give it time. Just give it time. And. Even though I didn't get the immediate results I was looking for, I feel like that that's what really helped me. Because had I had immediate results right away, I think that I could have justified the fact that maybe I wasn't an alcoholic. Because look, all these things I got back right away. You know, and so yes. I think it had to be really hard. It had to be so hard for me, for me to understand the reality of this disease and how far it took me. And, um, you know, so when I came home, I found this amazing sponsor. She had just take, taken her, I think it was 29 years. And it was just God carrying me to this meeting because I did not want to go. And what do we learn here? We do contrary action. And so even though I didn't want to go, I knew if I didn't go, I was eventually going to drink again. There was no doubt about it. And, you know, I, I didn't have a car. So I walked to this meeting, very humbly walked to this meeting. And uh, sat down in the back because I hate I didn't have a car for like two years. That was a humbling experience for me. Um, but I sat in the back and she gets up there. She takes her 29 years and I was just blown away. And her aura, her energy, everything she was, was what I wanted. And I cry thinking about it because I do believe that God put her. Absolutely. She was my angel. and She was patient with me. And I needed that because I think a lot of people need that tough love. But she yeah. was the kind and patient love for me that I needed. Um, you know, and they talk about it. They say, let us love you until you can love yourself, you know. And, uh, Such a blessing. Yeah, it really is. And to this day, she's still my sponsor. And she's going through a cancer bout for the second time. And um, uh. she is like such a warrior I call her my warrior queen because she is amazing and she has been struggling through this process and that's what's beautiful about this program is that she was there for me she gave me rides she took me to dinner she bought me coffees and she was always there for me and now I can be there for her which is so beautiful this is how this works you know so. the goodness the sweetness of AA and just not necessarily just AA, but the lives we get to live and yeah. the way we get to live and the love we get to live back to the people that we hurt so badly. And hopefully those people will forgive us and thank God for those patient uh, women. You know, yeah. 
And, you know, a lot of people these days, they don't care for AA and they don't go to AA or NA or what, CA or HA or <laughs> OA or yeah. Um, and, you know, I think it's so important, regardless of what you do or don't do, that having a fellowship of people that know what you're going through and just trying to be as honest as possible with those people is really going to help long-term sobriety because a lot of people don't make it. They say after five, I don't know the statistics, but I remember how I felt during that time. And I remember if it wasn't for the patient loving women who I could spill my guts to and say, why do I want to put a gun to my head at this time in my sobriety Mm -hmm. when everything is great? Well, there's more to be revealed. You've got more work to do in yourself. You've got to, you know, uh, go see a therapist. You've got to, you know, do some writing. And there's always something to do. And just the fact that people are wanting to better themselves, whether it's in AA or um, there's some programs, hip sobriety. Uh, I can't think of the ones. There's a bunch of different uh, people that do coaching mm-hmm. and great stuff. And good for them if they don't need to go to a meeting. You know, it's 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 great for me personally. My meetings have. Uh-oh. Hello. Mm. Danielle? Hello? Shoot. Can't hear you. Darn it. Oh, oh <laughs> the there you are. Days, it's so frustrating. I'm so sorry. That's okay. The young these days have such a beautiful platform to express themselves on social media or exactly, yeah so many different mediums to get sober, you know, and um, they don't have to go as far as we did. They, nobody has to go as far as I did. I mean, I, I did the jails. I did. Um, I wasn't a big institutional person. It's only because I was a great manipulator. And, uh, <laughs> totally. and then it came to death, you know, and, and, um, and some of us need medication. Like for me, my chemicals are messed up from all those years of drugs and mm-hmm. they there's people in uh in the world that that say nothing from the neck up and god that's so dangerous you know unless you're a doctor exactly yeah and i love to hear that you're that you are such an advocate for that because i myself included like i said i'm predisposed to depression and i've always had depression since i can since a teenager and uh And I also needed to seek outside help. And it's very dangerous when the old timers, we call them old timers, right? Because they're very set in their ways, I feel, Um, you know, tell other people that if they take psych meds, then they are not sober. And, you know, there was this young, young kid that was on bipolar medication. And he was told that he if he took his bipolar medication, that he was not sober and he got off of it. Uh, obviously without a doctor's supervision and killed himself and this is how serious this is you know I heard that 
I've heard it. It's awful. It's I, you know, and it breaks my heart. And, and I'm so glad that you're, you and I have found a way, you know, through the 12 steps and yeah, piggyback on what you said in regards to, you know, everybody's different. I get it. And what works for us might not work for somebody else. And I think, you know, if anything, as long as we are open to continuing to be the best version of ourselves, whatever that may be, um, then Mm -hmm. that's amazing. But, you know, there's something about face-to-face interaction that we cannot get online. And, you know, and, and having a meeting, there's so many meetings in the area. And I know I'm really, really lucky and really blessed to have great meetings um, with good, solid sobriety, you know, people who really do care for one another. And you just can't get that from just being online, you know? And so I, I love social media and I think it's added so much to my sobriety to a whole new level of interaction with people all around the world. Um, but there's just something about my meanings that I, you cannot get from online, you know? So that's where I stand with that, you know, and having that, that closeness bond with my sponsor, we've been through this together and, and yeah. So that's when I, when I talk about AA, I'm, I'm a huge firm believer that, you know, it's so detrimental sometimes when, you know, people um, share that they don't like AA and they have resentments towards AA and that's fine. And everyone has their own experience, but at least allow others to try it first before they make a decision. And I feel like some people don't, you know, they don't try new things for their recovery. So it's a touchy subject. You're dealing with people here. And when people, they say, that they had a bad experience or they talk about things that they don't like. Like they were telling me that I had character defects and this and that. If you understand the philosophy and the entire circle of what AA is really trying to do is it's trying to help people, not hurt people. And yes, you're going to, there's going to be sick people everywhere you go. And especially in AA because we're all trying, Trying to get well, yeah. sick people trying to get well. Yeah, exactly. So there's going to be, but to to you know to go out and to talk about why you know people don't understand that AA is there to help. It's not there to hurt. Yeah. And as long as you have an open mind and you want to get sober, you'll do what you want. Like you'll go to any length exactly. and that's the bottom line. Yeah. AA, you know, yeah. go to any length to get sober if you really want it. Exactly. You know, and try different meetings. You don't have to go to just one meeting and make the decision, which I think with a lot of us, myself included, I went to one meeting and I said, this is not for me. These people are old, <laughs> you know, I, I can't, and I think a lot of it is people, is people not wanting to get off their asses. The, the young people these days, they love social media and, and it's a great avenue to have an excuse not to go to a meeting is because, uh, you know, they've got their friends online. They don't like AA mm-hmm. and they really haven't tried it. You know, exactly. it's yeah. not for everybody, you know, I'm not trying to be, to push everybody to go to AA, but it, it truly is there to help people gain knowledge about their disease, about 
a spiritual awakening, which I knew nothing about. Mm. And hopefully to stay sober, I mean, long-term sobriety is not five years, okay? <laughs> when I look at these people, I'm in long-term sobriety and they're, they're taking a two-year chip. I, it scares me yeah. because I, I go, wow, what's going to happen in 15 years? You know, like, are they going to be around? Mm. Yeah. Because so much that happens in your recovery and so many life issues that come and go that if you don't have a solid background or foundation or somebody to talk to, a drink and a drug is an easy solution. So I just pray ah, definitely. that we can help get the word out. And I'm glad we chose to do this. Um, it, you know, thank you, Julie, for doing this with me. I think it was our first one and <laughs> you know, it was we had our uh, <laughs> issues, but it's a lot of fun. I think you're a, a wonderful friend. You, you and I have known each other for a couple of years from Instagram and then we actually uh, live near each other. So we would hook up here and there. And I just think you're great. And I'm so happy to to do this with you. And I think it'll just get better and better. Oh, girl, I appreciate you. And I, thank you so much for even thinking of me in regards to this. And I think you and I just we we have a great bond. And I just can't wait to see what we continue to to form, you know, through this platform and, uh, God, what a, what a great, what a great experience this was. So I appreciate you for putting it once again, for putting, doing the artwork, looking for songs, you know, looking for oh, all, all that good. stuff. I really appreciate it. You know, sometimes I think I just need a little direction and, uh, and that's what I feel from you is I, I like look up to you, you know, having almost 13 oh. years. That's amazing. You're my inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> not quite yet. it's almost 13 but oh, uh okay. thank you so much <laughs> of course. for everybody listening to us on our first podcast uh we appreciate you guys listening and let us know what you think let us know what you want to talk about what do you want to hear if this is something uh that you guys would like to be part of or listen in or talk or whatever it may be we thank you for listening and we hope you join us again Yes. Thank you, Daniela. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Bye. Bye.